0: Referees. You can't live with them and you can't live without them. For all sports fans, the referee is both a blessing and a curse. We recognize that in the sports world that all sports have rules. They have boundaries in which we have to live within to play the game fairly with one another. Yet without a referee, we find that the game would be utter chaos. Now, I find that many people can't stand the referees when they're calling penalties or fouls against their team, but they also find the referees to be very beneficial for them whenever an act is committed against their team and they expect for them to blow their whistle by administering justice and fairness. You see, we can't live with them when they make a call against us, and we can't live without them when we expect for them to make a call in our favor. Today, as we continue our sermon series on Romans, we come to a passage of Scripture that reflects this same type of sentiment. Paul shifts his focus to the governing authorities, and what he says can be welcomed under the right circumstances, but absolutely abhorred if the leadership isn't just. Paul tells us this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Did Paul really say that? (laughs) I mean, did he really mean it? I mean, are we to submit to the authorities no matter what? This, I find, is the tension that we live in as we declare God's word as divinely being inspired. It might seem odd that Paul would suggest such things, but the question is, is it really? Paul suggests God's sovereignty, his lordship over everything, even all rulers, and that God has put them in their respective roles. And according to Paul, to rebel against the authorities, this is to rebel against God himself because God has established those in leadership and in power. But I think it's important for us to understand Paul's context. Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the most recognized and respected rabbis of his day. And Paul himself experienced a position of power and leadership uh, as a prominent Pharisee, and he abused that by persecuting Christians. And we most notably know this in the book of Acts, where he is at the stoning of Stephen. In his own ministry, after he had his Damascus Road experience of encountering Jesus, Paul understood both the Jewish law and the Roman law well. He even used it to his advantage at times. But we find that really within Rome, the Romans had no problem with the Jewish law. They allowed the the Jews themselves to live under their own law, even while they had to live under the law of Rome. In fact, Rome even upheld the Jewish law that forbade any Gentile to enter into the inner temple courts. And if they did so, it would be punishable by death. But even Jesus' arrest and crucifixion is also a sign of such things because Pontius Pilate would not give in to Caiaphas' demands to crucify Jesus based on him breaking the Jewish law as a blasphemer. Pilate ultimately gave in out of fear that the Jewish people would revolt and declare to Caesar that Jesus had proclaimed to be Lord and King. And in doing so, Pilate would lose his spot and possibly be killed for allowing this to happen. So what happens? Well, Jesus' death is marked by his title by Pilate above his head. This is the king of the Jews. Despite the fact that Jesus died at the hands of Rome, Paul actually had a good experience in most of his life in Roman justice. In the book of Acts, we find that some Corinthian Jews accused him of starting a new illegal religion, and they went to Galio, the proconsul of Achaia, trying to tell him to stop Paul for what he was doing, but he refused to do so. He saw Paul as a Jew, even though Paul himself was a Christian too. In fact, the Christians were treated just like the Jews, able to live within the boundaries of their own laws, as long as they didn't spark an uprising against Rome. So essentially, Paul was given freedom to proclaim Christ as the Messiah throughout the Roman Empire and ultimately even in Rome itself. So when it comes to understanding Paul's words to us today, we must acknowledge that his own personal experience of the governing authorities could be seen in a more positive light, although his death later occurred under the uh, Emperor, Roman Emperor uh, Nero, who was one of the fiercest uh, against all the Christians throughout his empire. But early in his reign, he had not done so. But I think it's very important for us to acknowledge Paul sees the governing authorities as God's servants for the good of the people. Isn't that what he says in verse 4 to us? He says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Certainly this follows the Old Testament understanding of the kings of Israel who were the shepherds of the people under their care. But we also know that God war- warned Israel through the prophet Samuel that a king would be corrupted by his power and would abuse it for his own good, even at the expense of the people. We've all heard the, pra- the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And essentially, this is what God warned them of as he declared that he was their king. But the people shouted all the more for God to give them an earthly king so that they could be like the other nations. Ultimately, God relented and granted their request. But God was later proven to be right. And so God raised up prophets and he sent them to speak truth to power, to call the kings to repent of their wrongdoing. But so many of them refused to do so. They allowed power and greed and lust and prestige and violence to get in the way of being the shepherd who lays down their life for their sheep. So I think it's important and it's worth noting that Paul understands the tension between both just and unjust leadership. He has lived underneath it. He's been a part of it. He has witnessed it even in the Old Testament. But Paul also lives in this tension with the tension that one day he anticipates that Jesus will return and that the just judge will right all of the wrongs and rule with righteousness forever. So Paul's acknowledging that we can't disregard the civil law because God is a God of order, creating the world good out of the chaos. We find this in Genesis chapter 1. And if the world were perfect, we wouldn't need laws nor legislators to help make them. But the authorities are expected to work for the good, to promote good and to punish evil, to keep order in the midst of the chaos, much like a referee. I find that all of us agree with that, and we like the authorities when someone breaks into our home, but we tend to have a problem with the authorities when we run that stop sign or go through that red light. And so these authorities are God's servants for order, although many are unaware or even unintentional about it. And this even proclaims God's sovereignty all the more in the midst of unjust leadership. If you remember, Daniel served under King Nebuchadnezzar, who was responsible for leading uh, the Jews into exile for seventy years. And despite the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar was not a good leader, Daniel submitted to his authority and allowed for God to see, uh, allowed the people of Babylon to see their God at work through his life. And because God is sovereign all leaders like Nebuchadnezzar or even those of our time and even before our time are answerable to God for what they do, for what they choose not to do. But I find that the real danger of this text is when we use it to justify an unjust leadership or to promote evil. Now, this is exactly what happened with the Third Reich of Nazi Germany. The German Christians affirmed this passage as a justification for Adolf Hitler's rule and wickedness that killed over six million Jews and so many thousands upon thousands of others. The question is, is this what Paul was declaring? Absolutely not. Paul's words are set in the context of good leadership where divine authority administers justice and punishes evil. The governing authorities are not given free reign to do evil. In fact, if you remember in the book of Acts, the disciples were arrested by the Jewish authorities, and they were told not to teach in the name of Jesus. Did they submit to the governing authorities? No. They spoke up and told them, in Acts 5:29, "We must obey God rather than human beings." So it really doesn't matter if the government is ruled by a dictator or even by a democracy. If the government goes beyond the boundaries to the point of pursuing evil rather than good, or even declaring the worship of the leader over God, then we must stand and speak up for justice just like the prophets of Israel. This is where the difficulties lie. What constitutes going beyond those boundaries? Is it unjust policies? Is it unjust arrests? Unjust executions? Or unjust laws that hurt the poor and help the rich? Paul doesn't give us those things in our text. Rather, he expects Christians to live in a way of Christ, to to give honor and to give respect to those who are in positions of authority. Even Jesus declared in Mark 12, 17, give back what is Caesar's to Caesar and to God what is God's. And so we're called to follow the civil laws as law abiding citizens, even paying our taxes, whether we consider it right or wrong. But we are forbidden to give what is God to Caesar. Worshipping a leader, whether your pastor, the president, or even your country, is idolatry. We are forbidden to do this in Scripture. And so in the midst of this tension of both just and unjust leaders, we are reminded of God's sovereignty in Psalm 97 verses 1 and 2, which declares, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Ultimately, God is Lord of all. He is the King of kings, and we are called to work for justice and righteousness as we elect governing officials and even to hold them accountable to their vow to seek what our Constitution declares as liberty and justice for all. Our government is founded upon this very thing, but we know that so often there are injustices that take place all the time. And while we need order in the midst of chaos, we recognize that sometimes the order we have contributes to the chaos instead of seeking the good of all. So while we are called to be obedient to the civil laws and to submit to the governing authorities, we are also called to uphold God's justice and righteousness as people of our own nation. It's our duty as citizens to be proactive within the government, working for justice together, And so we must pray for discernment when it comes time for us to speak out and to stand up, to no longer remain silent and to work for the good of all the people. And let me just add something that I believe is important for all of us to hear today in the midst of this conversation about God and government and how we mix faith and politics together. I've often heard it said that politics shouldn't be preached from the pulpit. Yet, justice is a political issue. And Jesus spoke out against the injustices against the poor and the marginalized to the Jewish leadership who refused to practice what they preached. It cost Jesus his life. This is exactly what God commanded the prophets to do to the kings who were in power. So Jesus takes the role of prophet, priest, and king, And he shows us the right way to live under the governing authorities, to show honor, to show respect, to obey the law, and to speak up when the leadership is unjust. Now, why I choose not to push my own agenda or to pit political candidates against one another, or, nor try to tell you what policy or candidate that you should vote for, I do pray that together as a church that the Holy Spirit would work on each and every one of us, would meet us right where we are, and would challenge us to think about and to discern what God's will is when it comes to these matters of faith and politics in our nation. That together we would seek God's justice and righteousness in our nation and in our world. So I think that if we believe that politics should remain separate from our faith, we need to rethink our position on this as we seek to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. For God has already shown us what we are to do. He tells us in Micah 6, 8, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This means that we must work for justice when we see injustices all around us. You see, governing authorities, you can't live with them when they are unjust and using their position for personal gain and power. And you can't live without them because we must have order in our societies. The truth is that we live in one of the greatest countries in terms of our potential for creating a just society for all people unfortunately, there's still an awful lot of work to be done to provide liberty and justice for all. The good news is that God is still in control, that God is sovereign, and he's entrusted us as his church to work within the political sphere of our government to seek justice and righteousness, his justice and righteousness, not just in the election of our leaders, but also in the ways that we care for the poor and the marginalized among us. You see, the church can't just complain when we see injustices at the hands of our leaders. We are called to do something about it. So today I urge you to pray for our leaders, for those that you support, and even more so for those that you don't, but also that God would fill us with his love for justice and righteousness so that together we might bear his light in this nation Letting, as the prophet Amos declares, justice roll down like, on a ri- like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Once again, the prophet Amos declares, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. This is what God desires for us as we live together in our own country, as we live together as people of this world, that we would work for God's righteousness and God's justice with those who are in positions of power and even as we seek to be civil folks who live under the authorities of those who make our laws. So friends, I encourage you and I challenge you to pray about how we can do that together as God's people, following the ways of Jesus, being Christians, and acknowledging him as Sovereign and Lord over all. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.